began last week talking on this subject of lemonade. How many of you have ever had lemons handed to you? Ever had some of those situations that came along in your life that you wondered, what in the world is this about? So we're talking about turning obstacles into opportunities. Last week we talked to you about what a blind man sees, and I had a great time last week. And today we're going to continue just following what we believe the Lord has for this uh, time together. So would you take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts in the New Testament, Acts the 16th chapter. Uh, if you've got the Bible with you today, you know, the old-fashioned, or if you've got it on an iPad or on your Palm Pilot, that really goes back a day, doesn't it? Anybody remember Palm Pilots? A few of you still have one, I can tell. Anyway. <laughs> As you're doing that, let me greet the campuses. My name is Eddie Couples. I'm the lead pastor for Love and Truth Ministries, and it's exciting to be able to come to you week after week and bring the Word of God to you. I'm thankful for every campus pastor and what's taking place at your location. Today, we're going together into the Word of God, so let's get ready to receive. The book of Acts, the 16th chapter, beginning in the 22nd verse, uh, says this, and, and let me just kind of set it up before we read. Paul and Silas have been in this city and they've been preaching, and there's been this fortune teller. This girl's been following them, and she's been crying out, these are servants of the Most High God. And after a little while, Paul kind of gets a little agitated because she's operating under an evil spirit. And so he rebukes the evil spirit. The evil spirit leaves. The problem with that was is that she was telling fortunes through that evil spirit, and, and the people that she worked for, now all of a sudden she can't tell it anymore, and they're highly ticked, all right? And so this is where we pick up the story. It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What an interesting segue. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what brings deliverance. What brings deliverance? Now, here's what I found, and that is that most people deal with some type of bondage. Now, we really don't like to talk about it, especially at church. At church, we want to get all dressed up. We want to look good. We want to say such things as hallelujah, brother. Glory. Praise God. How you doing? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm on top of the mountain. I'm doing so good. I'm on the top limb waiting for the next one to grow out so I can go higher. That's how good I'm doing. But really, deep inside, we're struggling with some things. There's some bondage in our life. And so as I looked at this story, again, I always turn things on their heads when I look at them. I begin to see some things in, the, in this uh, happening in Paul and Silas's life that I think can be helpful to each and every one of us today. Now, let me talk to you about what I mean when I talk about bondage. A bondage is a controlling habit that is destructive either physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually. Now, if I didn't hit you somewhere, you're dead. All right? We, we are talking about a society. I, I began to do some research about addictions leading up to this series, and, and it was interesting. I Googled, and, and don't, you can do this. Don't do it now, because I know some of you Facebook while I'm teaching. Anyway, um, 
wait till you get home to Google it. But you can Google addiction and, and, and find out, do this. Google when you get home. Again, don't do it now. Quit. I see some of you on your phone right this minute disobeying me. All right? Google addiction and see how many addictions they are. It is mind-boggling. I didn't know some things could be addictions. I was blown away by some things. Shopping can be an addiction. Well, I've seen a few of that. Anyway, that's the wrong one to use, wasn't it? But it, there's, there's all kind of things out there. Uh, and, so, and so I begin to look at it. Let me, let me just give you some, some things, just food for thought for a minute. Nicotine kills four times as many people a year as all other drugs, suicides, murders, accidents, and AIDS put together. Think about that. No wonder tobacco companies are getting rich. Alcohol is the third most common cause of death in America. Half of all traffic fatalities involve alcohol. You want me to stop already, don't you? Pornography is a 57 billion, that's B, billion dollar industry. It takes in more revenue than all professional sports combined. You think we live in a world that's in bondage? And a lot of times in the church, we kind of just cover it up. We just say, well, if you'll come to the altar and you'll just ask Jesus to forgive you, you'll never have a problem with that again. And yet, what I find is, is that a lot of times Christians are struggling with bondages. Now listen, I want, to, I want to be the first to tell you, I believe that God has the ability, and He does, in people's lives to instantly deliver them. I've seen it happen. Some of you have probably experienced that. You, you came to the altar, maybe you were an alcoholic, or maybe you were struggling with some type of, of addiction in your life, and, you, and God instantly delivered you. And I have seen it happen, and I know it takes place. But having said that, I know that that is the exception and not the rule in the body of Christ. Most people who have a bondage in their life, and remember, physically, emotionally, mentally, on and on and on, all those things I read to you. Most of us struggle with those addictions for years. Those bondages that are in our life. And, and as I begin to look at this, I begin to say, what, what is it that a bondage brings into the life of a person? What does it do to somebody to, to find this bondage in their life? And I looked at that story. Would you look at verse 22 again? It says, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. The, the first thing that a bondage does or an addiction does is that it breaks your will. I promise you, they weren't wanting this to happen to them. Isn't it interesting how that so many Christians love Jesus but still struggle with habits? Now, I, I, I named three or four there that, that are kind of the, you know, the intense one. Let, let, me, let me name a church one. Gluttony. Overeating. Wow. Well, let's, let's not go there, preacher. Now you're really meddling right? That, that's damaging to us. That's damaging to our bodies. And yet we find ourselves in, in those predicaments. See, what happens is, is that the first time you partake, it's fun. The second time, it may be fun. The third, the fourth, the fifth, the twentieth, the twenty-fifth time. But at some point, you find yourself that your will is being destroyed. 
That it's not what you want to do anymore. It's, it's not what you desire. Years ago, Sherry and I were involved and when we first started pastoring. And, and one of the things that we did in our first church in Adamsville to get the church to grow uh, was I taught home Bible studies. And that was I would go into somebody's house and I would teach them for 12 weeks. Now, you couldn't do that nowadays. People won't let you in their house for 12 minutes, let alone 12 weeks. All right? It's a whole different world. Uh, but but I, we, for whatever reason, it seemed like I, I have had a tendency to get with people who had drug addiction problems. And, and I can remember one of the guys was telling me one day, first of all, he told me one day, we were getting ready to build a new church, and he said, Pastor, how much is that new church going to cost? And I said, uh, Jimmy, it's going to be about $300,000. He said, Pastor, that's no problem. I said, what do you mean that's no problem? He said, we can make a run to Florida. <laughs> this crowd's quicker than the first crowd was this morning. And he said, we can come back, we can have that in a weekend. I said, Jimmy, I don't want to start a prison ministry quite that way. <laughs> he was deadly serious. I was a little nervous. Anyway, um, and uh, as I was talking to him one day, he, he said, and his drug of choice at that point was Dilaudid, if you understand that. It's, it's basically synthetic heroin uh, that he was injecting numerous times a day. And he, he told me, he said, Pastor, when I first started doing this, he said, it was fun. He said, I would get high, and he said, it was great. He said, now... He said, just to get out of bed, just to make it through the morning. He said, if I don't do it, he said, he said it's, it's not. He said, I'm, I'm a broken man. And you know what? That's what happens. Is that bondage, it breaks you. It breaks your will. How many Christians have said, I'll never do that again? Only to find themselves six minutes Six days, six weeks, six months later, right back in the same cycle. The second thing that happens with bondage is, it says after they had, verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. The second thing is, is that addiction, bondage always causes pain. Always causes it. It doesn't matter what. It does not matter what it is. It causes pain. It causes pain to the person who is involved in it, and it causes pain to those who surround them and love them. Those who are you in relationship with. It's. It's not just that it's affecting you. It's affecting everybody around you. Pain comes as a result of bondage. They don't. They don't tell you that when they show you the commercial. You know when the horses come stomping out with the pretty dog. That's fun. Oh, isn't that cool? That's so cute. I think I'll have a bud. I'm sitting on a plane yesterday and flying back, and, and uh, there's a doctor behind me who I've, I found out he was a doctor because he talked too loud. Anyway, and, and he carried on a conversation the entire flight uh, for three hours. Anyway, and, uh, and he's talking to his seatmate, the gal beside him, and they didn't know each other, and I found out all, everything about her too. I was, I was well informed by the time the flight was over. And... Uh, Anyway, he, he's back there, and, and she brought up some ailment, some illness, and said something that set him on this tear. And all of a sudden, he said, he said you know what? He, should, he said, they tell you that you should drink alcohol. He said, I am a physician. I'm a doctor. And he goes and tells all of his credentials. He said, there is never a good time or a good thing about alcohol. He said, I want to tell you. He said, they said to drink wine, a, a glass of wine every day is good for you. He said, it, he said it, the, the alcohol is not good for you. He said, the grapes are good for you. He said, think about it. He said, alcohol destroys your body. He said, it messes with your heart. It messes with your... And he, go, he starts going down this whole line. And I'm thinking, he's a preacher. <laughs> he's not a doctor. He just moved into preaching mode. 
And then the next thing he said, I mean, I was going, I'm going to sign this guy to come preach at Love and Truth. Because the next thing out of his mouth is, he said, in fact, he said, why in the world would you ever want to take the first drink? He said, we know that so many people are predisposed to alcoholism. He said, why ever open the door? I started to get up and take an offering. This was the doctor behind me. Bondage causes pain. Thirdly, look in verse 24. When he received these orders, when the jailer received the orders, he put them in the inner part, inner cell, and fastened their feet in stocks. If you ever want to do some real depressive reading, uh, go back and read uh, about jails in that day and age. You, you talk about cruel and unusual punishment. And, and so he puts them in the very inner part of that because here's the third thing that, that bondage brings is that it binds you. And, and it doesn't bind you instantly. It, it doesn't, it's not the first day you do it you're in bondage. Uh, now, there are, yes, there are some drugs that, that you know, affect your mind and change you. But, but most things, it's a pattern. It's, it's a lifestyle. You, you begin to do it. But all of a sudden, what you find is it's, it's kind of like Samson. You know, Samson's playing around, and he's always able to get up and go out. And he's, he's, but all of a sudden, when he messes with that thing which is the closest to God's heart, which is his covenant relationship with God, all of a sudden he gets up and he's in bondage. And he doesn't even know. The Bible says he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. See, there, there are things in our life that we do them in the first few times. We get back up. We go to church. Praise God. Everything's wonderful. But the more that we do them, the more bound up we get. And before long, we find ourselves living in this place of continual bondage. So how do we deal with bondage? How do we find ourselves liberty to live this life that Jesus Christ has called us to. Now let me tell you something. I want everybody to listen carefully to me. I want you to hear me today. If you are a person who is struggling with bondage in your life and you are a believer, I don't want you to feel condemned by this sermon. This sermon is not a condemning sermon. This sermon is a, sermon is a liberating sermon. Because here's what I know. Just because you love Jesus does not mean you don't have some life-controlling issues that you're dealing with and yes I wish we were all free and I know that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free I understand all of that but I also know that for every person who gets that instantaneous breakthrough that there are many people who have to learn how to walk it out every day of their life verse 25 would you look there it says about midnight I love this passage about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So how do I deal? How do I deal with bondage? Okay, this is, this is where we're going to get nitty-gritty for a few minutes. Number one is they understood where they were. All right? You, you've got to understand. Listen, they understood that they were in a prison cell, and they understood what it was like. There, there are a lot of people who, who are interestingly oblivious to where they are well my life's okay have, have you ever watched one of these intervention shows anybody ever watched one of those where, where they come and they and they confront somebody and they they talk to them about their addiction talk to them about their lifestyle problem and and it's always interesting to me how, how the people now they're living in their car smoking crack all day long you know they're six foot two inches tall and weight 28 pounds and, and right 
and they're stealing from everybody they know, every friend they've got. Uh, they've gone through, you know, four or five homes, all this stuff. And, and they'll say, oh, we, we're going to make this offer to you, but you have to go today. And they always stop and go, well, I can't go today. And I go, why? Is it so good living in your car? I mean, what, what have you got to give up? Well, I, gotta, I, you know, I got things to do. What? Another hit? Right? See, and until you understand where you are, you can't get out of the mess you're in. They understood. They knew they were in the They, they didn't say, man, I, this is kind of the, like the Riviera, isn't it? You know, they didn't say, you know what, last time I stayed at the Ritz-Carlton, it was just like this. It, this is kind of cool. This is good. No, they weren't saying that. In fact, I think, let me, let me back the train up. I think but between those two verses there that there was a conversation between Paul and Silas. You remember that Silas is the second partner that Paul takes on a missionary journey. Paul, first of all, took a guy named Barnabas. And they kind of had a church split, and Barnabas went one way, and... Paul went the other. And so Paul brings Silas. I think Silas looks at Paul somewhere in that night. See, we make this way too superhuman. I think he looks at Paul and says, man, I wish Barnabas was here instead of me. Why did you ask me to come? I didn't want to be here. Why, why, you didn't tell me about, you told me we were going to preach Jesus and great miracles were going to happen and we were going to win the world to Jesus. You didn't tell me about a prison cell about being beaten with, you know, within a half inch of my life. You didn't talk to me about that. So they, they understood where they were. Number two is they understood why they were there. Let me, let me deal with that for a moment. Most of us are where we are because of the choices we have made in life. We don't like saying that. We won't blame mama, daddy. We won't blame our third grade teacher. We want to blame the man. I have never found the man, but we won't blame him. <laughs> it's the man's fault. I go, well, what man? Well, you know the man. Well, show me. I don't know who the man is, all right? You know, the government's against me. The, this one's against that one. So, no, 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 wait a minute. You, you got to understand what got you where you are. And usually you've made bad choices. See, the, the, the first time you picked up a cigarette was probably with some of your buddies when you were a teenager and said, man, this looks cool. Or maybe your favorite star or whatever. No, nobody picks up a cigarette saying, I hope I get to die of lung cancer. Nobody picks up their first Bud Light. You probably didn't pick up a light one for the first one. And says, I hope I can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on alcohol and lose everything that's precious to me and die of cirrhosis of the liver. No, we just see Clydesdale and puppies. And, and, and what we don't understand is, is that we make a choice and that choice leads us in a progression that brings destruction. In fact, let me say this to you, especially to those of you who are younger. If you don't open the door... You don't have to wrestle with the sin the rest of your life. See, some of us, I wish somebody had told some of us that when we were younger. Because we continue to struggle, even though we're Christians, even though we're believers, even though we love Jesus. 
We're like what the Apostle Paul said. He, he said, those things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I find myself doing. He said, there's a law that's at work in me, and here's what he called that law. He said, it's the law of sin and death. He said, that's working in my life. And you know what? That's exactly what it is. Because it always brings us to a point of death. It always brings us to a point of where we go, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. I don't want to live this way. Listen, hear me carefully, Christian. I'm not talking to unbelievers only. I'm talking to believers. But if you just pray more, man, some of us have prayed until we couldn't pray again. Well, if you, if you just go to church more, man, we've slept under more pews than you've sat on. Well, if, if you just love Jesus more, we love Jesus. We just struggle. We, we just, we just got, an, we've got an, a problem in our life that we, we don't want to do it. We don't want to bring a disgrace to our family. We don't want to hurt God. We don't want to live in a way that's displeasing to God. So we do good for a while, and we live above it for a while, but then all of a sudden what we find is we find ourselves going right back into it. And as we go back into it, we know our brain is screaming at us, what are you doing, stupid? Boy, it gets quiet, but it's the truth. It's not that we don't love Jesus. Literally, in your body, your mind, when you begin to involve yourselves with certain lifestyle changes, pornography and alcohol and drugs are some of the worst because you literally rewire your brain. The pleasure centers of your brain literally get rewired. This is a psychological fact. They literally get rewired that you crave what you didn't even understand. Now you crave with everything within you. And it, it, listen, I, I would be the first guy to say to you, if we had a way I could just lay hands on you and it would all go away, I'd, I would line you up from one end of a stadium to the other and lay hands on every one of you. And there are those moments that happens. But there are also those moments when it doesn't happen. And what we have to do is we have to be willing to say, wait a minute. How did I get here? What's going on? And where do I go from here? Number three, they understood what they could not change. They were in bondage. They they were shackled. There wasn't going to be a magical mission impossible moment where they were going to reach into their shoe and pull out something and get out of there. They were stuck. Now, let me say something to you, and I don't want you to miss this, and I will be misquoted on this, but it's okay because somebody needs to hear me. There are things that you came into this world. The Bible says that you were born in sin and you were shapen in iniquity. There are things that happened before you ever showed up on this planet that were back generations that when you got here, that even you're showing up, the the odds were stacked against you for living in freedom. People say, I don't believe that. Well, number one is you ought to read the Bible. Because the Word of God talks about iniquities of the forefathers are visited to the third and the fourth generations. 
The word iniquity just means a propensity towards a certain type of sin. That's all it means. You, you take a, a small tree and you bend it, it is going to grow. It will come back up straight, but it will always have a crooked part to it. It will always lean one way or the other. I'm going to say something, and some of you are not going to like what pastor is going to say. But when people tell me at times, I was born this way, they were. Shock. We were all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. And the church needs to wake up and realize that. And we need to quit playing these, these games and acting like, well, if you just confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, everything's going to be wonderful. You're never going to want to do that again. You're never going to think that kind of thought again. Well, let me help you a minute. I'm kind of like the Apostle Paul. When I would hear people get up and say, you know, I thank the Lord that I got saved and I've never thought about sinning again. I thought, man, I have not been saved. I am going straight to hell. Because my, my mind could invent stuff. This may be the day that people start looking for another pastor. I don't know. Look for that perfect one. One got it all together. You're not looking at him. But here's what I found. Number four is where I want to get you to. They understood where their focus should be. At the midnight hour. Their focus shifted. I don't know when. I don't know what happened. I don't know what all the conversation was about that got them to this point. But at the midnight hour, they begin to focus on something else. And the Bible says they begin to pray and they begin to sing songs. What they begin to focus on, four things real quickly. They focused on truth. Look, I understand the facts, but let's talk about truth. The fact is... I messed up. The truth is, no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. The fact is, I fell down. The truth is, the righteous falls seven times, but arises again. The fact is, I keep seeing this same thing happen. But the truth is, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. That's the truth. And so I have to begin to get the Word of God in me, and I have to begin to believe what God's Word says because my brain is saying, loser, loser, loser. God's Word says, winner, winner, winner. <laughs> Second thing you've got to focus on is your authority. As a believer, you have authority. The Word of God says you have the authority to trample on serpents and upon scorpions, and no deadly thing shall hurt you. You have the authority to use the name of Jesus. You have the authority of the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells the believer. And so when the enemy begins to come in like a flood, the Bible says the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So in that moment, you have to begin to take your authority. You can't just lay down and say, well, I guess I'm going to do it again. Let me help some of us today. Get this in your, in your mind and in your spirit. I, I used to believe that if I thought it, I might as well do it. I was taught, well, if you think it, you know, it's just as bad as doing it. Listen, temptation is not a sin. 
The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every area like as we are, yet without sin. I mean, whatever your temptation is, Jesus got the same kind of temptation. So being tempted is not a sin. You say, well, you know, I've been told all my life, if you think you might as well do it. Listen, I've thought about killing people. Uh, All right, not really, but I have thought about shooting them in the leg. All right? I I, I mean, come on, you know, that that theology just doesn't float, guys. All right? And, And so what we have to do is we have to look at this and say, wait a minute, just because I'm tempted does not mean in that moment I have to give in to temptation. So I have to take my authority in Jesus. Number three is I've got to focus on praise. Because when you begin to praise, Jesus shows up. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Paul and Silas are in the middle of a jail cell in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden they begin to praise God and God came down. And God comes into the midst of that jail cell. And as Peter, I mean, excuse me, as Paul and Silas are in that moment, they're singing a song. I don't know what they were singing, but they're singing a song and God gets to tap in his foot. And when God gets to tap in his foot, the whole earth begins to shake. And all of a sudden, the bondage that had been in their life now breaks free. And not only are they set free, but everybody around them is set free because they have now created. They have created a moment that God can dwell in. So I want to tell you. Whatever, whatever you're facing, whatever it is in that moment, I guarantee you, if you just start saying, Lord, I love you today. God, I just want to pray. I want to thank you for your blood. I thank you, Jesus, that you saved me from a gutter. I thank you, Lord, that you brought me out, as the Bible says, out of the miry clay. I thank you that you have set my feet on a rock to stay. Listen, you can't be saying that and, and doing the other at the same time. It will shut it down right there. You know, just just start saying what God says. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote and says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue any longer then? I mean, you start praising God like that. Not only does God come down, the enemy runs off. Because the devil can't stand it when you begin to praise God. You say, Pastor, can that really work? Try it. You might like it. Right? Let me tell you the fourth thing you've got to focus on. You've got to focus on your covenant. You have a covenant with God Almighty. You have a relationship with God Almighty that is an unalterable covenant. Jesus said it this way. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Listen, I don't get up worried in the morning whether or not I'm going to heaven. I am going to heaven. I may have fallen last night. I may have messed up yesterday. I may not have done everything right, but you know what? I am in a covenant relationship with God Almighty, and I am secure in Jesus Christ and what He has done in my life, and I'm going to heaven because I made that decision as a seven-year-old boy, and I haven't changed my mind since then. I've fallen a whole lot. I've messed up a whole lot, but I'm still going to heaven. Amen? So you got to focus on the covenant. Let me do this, and I'm going to bring it to a close. I want you to know something. People don't break bad habits. So what? Yes, no, people don't break bad habits. They replace them with better habits. I can prove that to you. When they come tell you you got to lose weight, the first thing you think is can't, can't, can't. 
Your, your mind says, if it tastes good, spit it out. And that's why we yo-yo all over the place. What's got to happen is we've got to change habits. It's not about what I can't do. It's about what I need to do. It's about what I'm going to do. It's about what I get to do. Let me close with this. Three things to walk in freedom. You ready? Number one, learn your danger zones. If you have trouble with alcohol, don't go out with the guys after work to the bar. But I'm going to go witness to them. No, you're going to be the drunkest one there. <laughs> you got trouble with lust, don't watch certain TV programs. Man, it will eat your world up. You, whatever, the, just, just know your, what, what is your danger zone. Somebody else look at you and go, fool, what's wrong with you? I mean, shouldn't say that word, should you? But, it, I mean, that's what they say. It's like at you, you crazy. But. You, got, you know your danger zone. Number two, make lifestyle changes. Don't go to certain places. Don't do certain things. Don't hang out with certain people. I mean, it blows my mind. Some of your friends. Well, they've been my friends for 100 years. Yeah, and they're always sucking you down and taking you places you don't need to go. Make some changes. Make some lifestyle changes. Number three, be accountable. Now, choose who you're accountable to very carefully because some people talk way too much. If, if, if they're the ones who post everything on Facebook, can you believe what they told me? You don't need them. Find you somebody who knows how to keep their mouth shut. Amen? Now, if, let me say this as I close. If you are the person who is holding somebody accountable, I don't care how many questions you ask them, Here's the last question to always ask them. What did you just lie to me about? Because a person in bondage will lie. I read years ago that all adulterers are liars. And when I read that statement, I thought, no, that doesn't make sense. I'm sure there's some guy or gal that's cheating that's not lying. And I thought, wait a minute. Yes, they are. They're lying about everything. Their whole world's lying. All right? So if you're being held accountable or you're holding somebody accountable, Always ask that last question, what did you just lie to me about? If they get honest, that's where you finally dig down and begin to get things right. I want to tell you, there is freedom in Jesus. And I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that you can get freedom in your life. I believe that you can walk in what God has for you. But I also want to say to you, if you fall, if you sin, the Bible says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. Whatever you've done, God's bigger than that. Whatever habit you can't control, God's bigger than that. Whatever thing that has control of your life that is trying to suck the life out of you, God's bigger than that. I'm confident of this. Neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. I believe that today. Amen.